Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Brennan Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. I'm your host, as always, Brennan Tassif. I'm here with my very good friend, Dallas Nelson. What's going on, man? Hi, how's everyone doing? <laughs> so, Dallas is here. He's a good friend of mine, a very funny comic out of Jacksonville, Florida, like most of my guests so far. Dallas, go ahead, plug everything up front. Anything you want to tell the people about? Uh, well, so uh, I go under Dallas James Nelson for Facebook, if you use that terrible site. Uh, and then for Instagram, I go under Atlas underscore vaped. It's a joke about Atlas Shrugged, but most people don't get it. I didn't get it. Uh, no, no, no. Ayn Rand wrote this book called Atlas Shrugged. And if you've ever met a vape store owner, they think that they have figured out capitalism. So. <laughs> So that's why I went with Atlas Vaped. But I think that joke's a little bit too deep, so I might change it in the future. <laughs> All right. You got any shows or anything coming up? Uh, no, not so far. Um, I think I might have something coming up uh, at like Eclipse or something like that. But I'm trying to put in together a show. I'm moving out of town soon to, yeah. to Monterey, California first, then by that to San Diego. We're going to get into that for sure. Dallas is leaving us, even though he's only been here for such a short time, it feels like. Dallas and I have a very interesting relationship. When I came back into comedy, I remember I went to Dahlia's, and you were the first person I ran into. Yeah. And you were like, oh my God, are you new? I'm Dallas. And I was like, well, kind of and kind of not. And you introduced me to everyone who came into comedy since I had left. Uh, well, if you know one thing about me, I am just very, very shy. I am so... <laughs> Uh, afraid of meeting new people. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, so Dahlia's was uh, this little place that had kind of like a tiny copper room in the back. And um, I am like a chronic smoker. I don't like to drink when I do stand up, but I love to smoke because it just fills the time in, you know? Like, yeah. So I, I'm always in the front of a bar if I'm doing stand up. So obviously, I'm usually the first peop person people run into if they go to a show. And that's where I ran into you. And obviously, big handsome guy. So of course I'm going to introduce myself. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because um, I was super nervous going back into doing stand-up, obviously. Um, and I remember I walked in and I kind of knew Christina. I definitely knew Buck, but he never really went to Dahlia's. I knew Crespo. Um, but I remember I walked in and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm so scared. Like, God, I got to bite. And you were like, hey, what's up, man? Oh, my goodness. That, no, no, that makes me feel good. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of those big people that... Uh, First off, if you're trying to like not persuade people to do comedy, what are you doing with your life? Like, yeah. you're not like better than anyone. Just, I like it when people get to do what they want to do. Like, ah, uh, I'm totally, totally into that. Really, like, uh, gay Deepak Chopra, like, <laughs> conquer, seize the day kind of stuff. Like, I'm all about like getting people out there and doing art. And I don't know, very, very, very um, much a faggot. I think. <laughs> <laughs> What were you saying about that very much? You're into letting people kind of do what they want to do and things like that? Yeah, well, I, my, my big thing is, is I think that, uh, well, you know, like, it's, it, it sounds kind of like pithy for somebody that does like a lot of dick jokes and butthole jokes. But, uh, you know, art is just what, what exists because somebody couldn't express themselves otherwise. So I'm always like pushing people to do comedy. I'm always the person that wants people to go out and to go on stage because I think everyone can do it. Like, I'm, I think everyone can learn how to do it. And really, the, the only thing that's difficult about comedy should is, is fear. You know, yeah. a lot of people are just too afraid to stand up and talk and it's like oh first off it's wonderful who doesn't want to be the center of attention well it's weird because i was actually talking to brian about that last week um 
And it was an interesting thing because I feel the same way you do. Like, I don't understand anybody who wouldn't want to get on stage and tell jokes and make people laugh and actually say something, you know. But um, Brian had made an interesting point. He was saying that uh, some people just don't have that tweak in their brain, which is so weird to me because I can't understand not wanting to be the center of attention. But in a way, he's right, because I know like with my family, like they're like, no, I'm good. Like, I don't want to be up there talking and everyone staring at me. Uh, yeah, I, I do think that that's a true thing because I know, uh, cause my background is, is that my father is a minister. So mm-hmm. I grew up on stage my whole life. He was a cowboy poet in North Florida from Montana. I'm not making any of this up, but, um, <laughs> no, uh, he came down here in the 1980s because there was a huge beef boom and my dad. Always, yeah, there was. Oh, Enter Dallas. Ew. Uh, no, uh. Yeah, there was a, no, no. There was a cattle boom because they would uh, take all the orchards, orchids, or uh, sorry, orchards, all the orange orchards for orange juice. They would feed it to cows. So there was this massive beef boom in the eighties. Like a ton of cowboys from all over America. Came well, and a lot of people don't know that, but it's like Iowa, Idaho, and Florida are the three largest states that produce cattle in the United States. Yeah, yeah, because um, you know, in Florida, because it's it's basically a swamp. You know, you can put five cows on like two acres. But you just can't do that in the Midwest. You need like 100 acres for a cow. But here, things just grow so fast. But I I grew up, and my dad had this calling from God in the 90s to do what was called Cowboy Church. My dad founded Cowboy Church with a guy named Greg Kirkland. Uh, And so we would literally travel across America in a horse trailer, me and my mom and my sister, who's older than me. uh, And we would go to rodeos uh, or, well— Actually, ropings, which is technically in cowboy slang. A rodeo is if it's seven events. A roping if it's, is if it's one event. So we would go to ropings. My dad was a team roper. Um, and every Sunday, my dad would pull up like this this table. He would recite poetry, like Christian-themed poetry. And when I was like six and seven, me and my sister would go up and sing Jesus Loves Me. Or my dad would bring me up if I had said like memorized a verse. I would say like a verse in front of everybody. All of these cowboys cowboys you know so i like knew performance like from a a very young age i basically was like a traveling minstrel (laughs) from like from the time i was like four i was on stage in front of people talking about you know jesus and god and everything and so that's where i learned stand up and so i think when you get into that in your brain a little bit there's a thing where um Okay, let's let's be honest. Some people like to be the center of attention, and when they say that, it's not that they like every attention. They like the attention that's good enough for them. Yeah. Uh, and when you're kind of like a stage person, like you like being a stage person because that attention that you get by being on a stage is a little bit different than just like you know wearing a nice shirt or being giving a compliment. Like stage attention is. You know, it's a dopamine rush. It's kind yeah. of a drug. Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, it's different because, it, to put it like calmly, I, I could say it like, if I got a compliment about what I was wearing from somebody I absolutely hated, it would mean nothing. But if I was in front of a room full of people that I hated and I made them laugh, I'd still love it. You know? Yeah. No, for sure, definitely. I, yeah. And so that's the weird thing about it is because I also did. A lot of stage stuff, not nearly as much as you, but I did a little bit of stage stuff when I was younger. Um, so, yeah, I've just same thing, though. Like, I've been used to just being on stage or trying to be like the center of attention, like when I'm on the stage. 
But it's weird though how how persistent you are and how nice you are to people when they first come in to stand up. Because as someone, I because I've been doing it off and on for ten years, and sometimes when people come in. And I've been ta- I've talked about this with Marcus. And I've talked about this with Brian and stuff. But they'll come in and they'll get like really drunk and they're like, "Oh, I'm the funny guy in the office, so I want to go up." And sometimes I find myself rolling my eyes, like, "Seriously, man, like we're gonna we're gonna do this whole thing again." Yeah. But you're always very. You're like, "Oh my god, that's so cool! You probably are the funniest guy at the office." Uh, y- you know, I, to be be honest, I like being nice to people that are new to it because of the fact that like, and I do get tired of it. Like if it's that one guy, I I have had a conversation with a newer comic that it was like his fifth time he came in just absolutely blitzed. And I was like, you know, man, like if you want to be here, be here. Just yeah. come here sober. I think you're funny. Just be sober. But I think, you know, a lot of times people are just drinking to have courage to do yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know. I want to be nice to people because I think the thing about it is, is like, one, I have depression. So I know that like sometimes you're just hanging on for what people give you. Yeah. So I want to give like if people are going out there to make people laugh and just generally not be like a cynical asshole. Like I'm so excited to see anyone that makes the world a better place. Like that is very stupid. Anyone who thinks comedy makes the world a better place. Like literally you know no you're just <laughs> no I, I gotta like it no and it's not that important comedy is very gay and stupid uh, <laughs> i hate comedy it's awful uh no I, I i just like being nice to people because i think uh it's fun it really is like yeah. uh, you know everybody is always so it's so interesting i i think everybody's just everybody's got something about them that's really deep and it's usually the thing they don't know is deep you know mm-hmm. everybody's kind of kind of a genius at something they just need to be comfortable to let that out you know yeah and that's i've noticed that too it's it's odd because um like sometimes when i'm talking to tables or something like that at work i get so invested and i'm like wait tell me wait how did that happen or what yeah and i was talking to my uh, girlfriend about it one time and she was like why do you talk to the, like who cares i'm like but yeah everyone's got like a story though yeah like how people end up in certain positions is so bizarre to me oh no 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 i you know i learned something recently that i wrote down is is that like did you know like a, a deck of playing cards that there's more possible combinations of a regular deck of playing cards than there are stars in the universe no, I didn't know that. No, no, no. Yeah, like true mathematical fact. It's like a factorial of 54 or 52, like just a huge number. Uh, and so that just means that like, you know, it's a scientifically proven fact. Every person is unique. That's just undeniable science proven. Yeah, and it's very interesting because like when I was talking to, uh, we had Brian on last week and we were talking and I didn't realize, I thought he was like lived in Texas and then came to Florida. And then he was like, oh, well, you know, I lived in Chicago and then I lived in New York. And I was like, wait, I've known you for years. And this is the first time I'm hearing about all this. And the same thing with you is, you know, when I met you, I because I had done comedy back in 2013 in Jacksonville to like 2015. And then I had stopped. And then you had came into comedy. 2018. Yeah. So you were six months or almost a you I think you were six months in or something like yeah. that when I first showed back up because I showed back up in 2018. And it, you were so full of life and so full of energy and you were very, and it was just a front because you were a sad, depressed, little scared Oh, no, guy. no, no. It's not. It, it, I mean, I was sad and depressed, but it, no, it wasn't a front because I, you know, I, I still am that excited about it. Like I really like, 
man, it was kind of like I found comedy because like True Blue, you know, like how most like sh- like straight white sad guys like do comedy because their girlfriend broke up with them, and it's just like, uh, you know, yeah. I can't match with my girlfriend because uh, we broke up. I'm an Aries, and she's a cheating whore. Uh, oh, know, you know, uh, no, I, I, I literally just kind of got to comedy as a point because when I, I had gotten out of the military, I was just so depressed that I just had to do something with it. And I was passionate about performance. And uh, this is the only hobby on the planet where they're crazy enough to just let strangers take a microphone. Yeah. Um, they definitely just let you do it. They let you do it. It's 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 insane. And here <laughs> I am. <laughs> and you uh, were in the Air Force, correct? Yes. I was in the Air Force for six years. I joined in 2011. I went November 2011. Uh, my actual join date was November 7th, and I remember because it was two weeks after Don't Ask, Don't Tell got the repeal started functioning. So Don't Ask, Don't Tell got repealed in September, but there was like a weird pin- window for like two or three, like a couple of weeks basically, where it was going into effect. Mm-hmm. So it had only been in effect, the repeal, for two weeks when I went into the military in 2011. Uh, and then I was an airborne cryptologic linguist. So I did, I went to San Antonio. Every time you, I don't mean to chuckle, but every time you say it, I just hear your joke in my head. Oh yeah. Which one? Uh, the the most badass way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. So, uh, after I did boot camp, I did like flight school. Uh, and then I went to Monterey, California and in Monterey, California, you, you get assigned your language. And so I got assigned Persian, which, you know, I'm from Florida. And when they said Persian, I was just like, you mean from 300? Like I like <laughs> had no idea, like true blue from the South. I was just like, don't they all speak Arab? Like it's just <laughs> full on, like actually believe that like they're all Muslims over there, aren't they? Like, it's just like, it's Europe, Muslims, then China. That's literally all. That's how it was in your head. Yeah. That's how it was in my head. I thought Europe, Muslims, China, and then there's like India somewhere, but wherever that is, you know. Uh, And so, yeah, I went to Monterey, California, and then I spent a year and a half in Monterey, California. Very beautiful place, by the way. Um, And basically, I spent uh, six or seven hours a day, every day, for nine months learning Persian Farsi, which is Iranian. Uh, And then after that, I had to learn like Persian Afghan, which is Persian Dari. Uh, they do like a little conversion course for everyone that passes. So I learned language there in nine months. And uh, I like to say that's the most badass way of saying uh, I have autism. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, li- linguists in general, like military linguists are like the most bizarre breed of people on the planet. Because, so everyone there, like when I took my ASVAB test, the general aptitude yeah, yeah. test, the highest you can score on it is a 99 uh, and to get into the Air Force, you need to score a 55. Uh, I scored a 90. Uh, and 90 is the average score of the ASVAB for military linguists. So everyone there is just kind of like a, a nerd. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it, everyone there is very smart. And so there's this weird kind of, um, I guess, demographic to linguists. Like it's everyone's kind of bizarre in their own ways. Like no one's that smart without having a couple of screws loose. Yeah. Uh, you well, know. I say it about, I mean, like I love my older brother, but he's like super duper smart. Like, you know, so the same kind of thing. Like, you know, he's got a couple of screws loose, but I mean, he's a great guy, but he's, you know, he's like, like you're saying, like really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can just use the word autistic. Um, <laughs> 
Like you can't, you can't, if you're smart at one thing, that just means that you're even dumber at another thing. Like that's really what it is. All life is, is just a straight up, uh, uh, like fallout loading screen where you pick your stats. If you're really good at something, that means like I've got a lot of charisma and intelligence, but no wisdom. Yeah. That's just like, (laughs) I really took the like, yeah, I'm very smart, but I am addicted to drugs. Um, (laughs) No, uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah. So it was it was a bizarre place. I learned how to drink there, uh, which so like for the weird part of the demographic thing is most of military people are eighteen to twenty. Like it's a it's a young thing to do. You yeah. you know you either got like uh, ROTC kids or JROTC, sorry, like you know weird military nerds or you know just kind of like kids that didn't have any other option to get away from where. They they were going but linguists in 2011 like the average their age there was like 25 which that's old for the military yeah because like, i was gonna say don't most kids like get out of high school they don't really have any other options so they just go right into the military yeah pretty much yeah it, it, so i was i was an odd duck because i was like an 18 year old there uh and then i was 18 19 and 20 i, I spent that period of time there and and it was weird because i was the young kid like everybody else was older they were usually like the, the makeup is like seven out of ten linguists are that kid that raised their hand so much in class that the teacher started ignoring them. Yeah. Uh, and then like the other three tenths is is that there's like Mormons. Um, and then I would say like uber smart rednecks like these weird like prodigies. No, 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 no. They're, they're just legitimate God given like actual rednecks that are just like grew up on a farm love hunting and for some reason they just know science and math they just happen to be smart uh and then there's like uh probably like sociopaths like it was really weird like then you'll meet these guys that are like absolutely perfect at everything and they're just horrifically emotionally unintelligent just brutal like every guy i ever met that was like in shape handsome and also like good at the military and the language thing is like on their third divorce now like, oh my god yeah no i'm not even kidding like they just don't because they're so good at everything else they can't maintain now are you saying like they socially don't like almost like an Asperger's like it doesn't quantify or they're just they just are sociopaths where they just don't care about other people uh it's kind of like a little bit of both like uh because there is like a genuine thing there where everyone does have like a a intellectual thing that they're not good at yeah um and so it, it is kind of a sociopath thing because you'll see it because of the fact that they're they're so capable at the the requiring like stress of the military the language the because it's such a stressful job because yeah. you're not only maintaining physical fitness you're maintaining like you like it sounds silly but like maintaining a uniform with like buttons and ribbons that you have to keep updating it's fabulous it's fabulous now uh and then you have to keep updating a shoe you have to have your hair cut in a certain way all the time time uh and there's really no break from it so if well not only that but there's the threat of war yeah always on the horizon yeah there's threat of war which i can tell you all about that that's it's not so much that it's threat of war it's that we're always at war now so like the military is the most stressful place in the world right now there's a lot of problems with it in the american military and i can directly attest to it uh because the problem is is that the military is in this weird place where we are at war but we don't act like we're at war because when we we're not at war we are focused on like preparedness like we're all going to be there um and when you are at war 
you kind of sacrifice that glamour, like the the sharp looking for function because yeah. that's that's necessary. But right now, uh, and I don't know how it is because I've been out for three years, but what drove me crazy about it was is just that there's this like horrific abomination right now where the military is like, we, we are at war, so you have to maintain perfect perfection at your job and everything, but you also have to be a showcase person. So it's, it's kind of weird, like... It, it's impossible for so many people to do. I think that's why suicide's so high for veterans and yeah. soldiers right now. Because, like, you know, if you take a car to a show, like you take one of those 1950s cars or, or any car to a show, you know, you can take that car to the show, but that means you're not driving at 80 down the highway to yeah, work every you have day. To, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so you have this thing where it's literally like... Just think, imagine somebody taking like a convertible car and like you have to be showroom ready and you also have to take it 80 to work every yeah, you Monday. You have to drive it there, but it also has to be showroom ready. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and that's where like those guys, I call them sociopaths. They're not really sociopaths. They're just people that aren't like fully emotionally intelligent. Um they're so good at the military and they're so good at their requirements because they're just not taking care of other people. Yeah, they're like, just detached. From they're it. just detached. Like it's it's so easy to do the military thing if you just don't give a shit. Like if you like if you don't give a shit <laughs> you completely about completely cut yourself off from like, everyone else. Yeah, like if you completely just don't give a shit about other people, it's so easy. It's so easy to just be like, well, you're not capable of running a mile and a half at this, so I don't really care about you. You're my subordinate, so I don't like you. Uh, because you're not meeting the standards, and because you're not meeting the standards, that means I'm not meeting the standard. Uh, and you see it, and that's why the divorce rate and the suicide rate is so high in the military, is because it's it's just a it it's a you know it's like a weird bastard thing you know like yeah. what what are we are we at war or are we at peacetime do you want us to be a showroom car or do you want us to drive us to work every day yeah well because there's that um, really interesting quote I can't remember what it's from but I remember reading it just you know um, studying political science and history and stuff I think it was uh, there is no such thing as peacetime we're always at war so act like it yeah. Something like that. But it's interesting to what you're saying, especially now, because it seems like with everything that's going on in the world, it's like, no, there's no like we're deployed all over the place. So there's no I this idea that because it's not we're not fighting like an active war like World War Two or something. It's like, no, we're still at war. Oh, yeah. 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 It was really weird. Um, and you know, I, I think what a lot of people don't know, like I learned drinking from DLI, which obviously I was drinking underage, which at the time was like hotel parties were the big thing, hotel okay. par parties. And then also, uh, normally in the military, you have to stay on the base. Yeah. That's but, what I was going to ask you. So we were in California. Yeah. yeah. You're 18. Well, so, okay, so to be a linguist is weird, again, to, to you know, to, eh, I'm a special linguist, um, you know, um, so most of the time when you do training in the military, it's at best like three months. Uh, I, I'm serious. It's like okay. three months, like, to do, because if you're a mechanic... Really, you need to learn the basics of being a mechanic. Imagine that every job is teaching you something from the base level. Like, they assume that you know nothing. So, if you're going to be an aircraft mechanic, you know, you got a couple of months to learn it, but they already know you're going to have out-of-date stuff anyway. So, really, it's stuff that you learn while doing the job. So, when you're in training in the military, you are a child. So, in Monterey, California... We were in training status for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically, training status means that um, 
You cannot be out after 10 p.m. on a weekday. Uh, anytime you travel more than, uh, for us, it was more than 50 miles away from your base, you have to fill out a completely detailed itinerary of where you're going to be and why you're going to be there. Uh, and So even if you just want to like go visit family or something, you, yeah, have, to yeah, you have to break it all down? You have to break it all down. Like, And in fact, the itinerary, I don't know if they still do it, but how we had to do it was is that you had to like measure every single break. So if you were on like a plane trip, you had to fill out every single detail about like your stops and layovers. Like you had to be like, I was going to this airport and this airport. I'll oh, be in this. Wow. Yeah, because you're on call 100% of the time. So whenever it was a weekend, it happened to us once like – uh, if it was a weekend, they have the power to just call everyone at any moment and be like, 1 a.m., uh, we've had a drunk driving accident. Everybody be in blues in this in our, our meeting square, 1 a.m. right now, Saturday night. Um, and and so- that's because like someone from the base got into an accident? Yeah. Uh, for us, it was because of the fact that uh, there was like a big drunk driving accident where like nobody really got hurt. It was just like, uh, I'm trying to remember so long ago uh what was it uh i actually was the cause of one of those not for the air force though for the for the marines <laughs> uh, i may or may not have uh there there might be an urban legend or two about me and the presidio of monterey of course there is uh yeah uh by the way the presidio is where we go there's a giant stone eagle there uh okay. and whenever you pass by it it's it's an urban legend that they say if a virgin comes to dli and leaves as a virgin the stone eagle will fly away oh really yeah 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 oh it was like m- nobody tells you like the military right after boot camp is nothing but like it's so much fucking uh <laughs> well because so the well, thing, everyone's young you're all in shape everyone's well not only is everyone young and in shape mostly in shape because of the fact that like it's it's insane some people put on weight real quick but um Oh, you mean right after boot camp? Right after boot camp. But but the thing is, is that so boot camp is funny because it's I wouldn't call boot camp hard. Boot camp is exhausting is what it is, because yeah. it's it's, it, it's not hard. It's as much as it's an impossible task. Nobody can do boot camp alone. That's the whole point. You get broken down to a point where you figure out, oh, wait, I need a team. I'm no longer Dallas. I am part of a like Troop 70, you know, or like yeah. Wing 70. I, I forget the words. I hated boot camp camp i was bullied in it for being gay Ugh. um no um so you know after boot camp basically you've you've spent for in the air force you spent like eight weeks being emotionally torn down when and i when i mean emotionally torn down is is that like every minor mistake that you make is some is a massive issue like i remember when we first came in they make us like stand at attention in front of our wall locker mm-hmm. um and, like, they're all yelling at you, and they know that they're just trying to get you to fuck up. And this this sergeant, I think his name was Pickett, Master Sergeant Pickett, was going through. Because what they do is is you, you bring your bag with you, and they search your bag to see if you brought, like, you know, any drugs or Contra knives. Man, yeah. yeah, knives or weapons or anything like that. Uh, and... Um, 
And he was just like, where is your bag? And I took my hand and I pointed to my bag, which was at a, a bunk bed. Uh, and he just came at me and just yelled at my face. And he was like, because he was just like, don't move your hand because I don't know if you have a weapon, airman. And it was just like this brutal. And this is, again, the first day, like just a brutal ripping and reaming. And it's like that for the whole time. So it, you are really. I don't understand that, though. I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's not prison. Like, why would you well, voluntarily no. go to boot camp and carry a weapon to, like, stab somebody? Well, no, it's not that you, you carry a weapon to to stab people it's more along the lines of like you know somebody might have like a knife that their parents gave them or something yeah. i had a pocket knife my dad gave me it was called an old timer which is like a real country thing if anybody knows what an old timer knife is they are country as fuck uh but but they really are like searching you down like to make sure you don't have okay yeah I yeah mean, i guess yeah well so because the thing is is that it's uh like i said it is it's not that it's hard it's exhausting it's meant to break you down yeah. to your most fundamental thing so of course people do crazy things there all the time because they just snap because some people have never had any moment in their life where they they've snapped like that like they've never had any moment like so you see these guys like so take a guy that's just been from like a really hard life where they've had to be performatively tough their entire life yeah uh and you take them to that place uh and they they can snap girls snap people snap sometimes uh, there's like always urban legends about like military instructors we call them mti's uh we didn't call them drill sergeants military uh, training instructor yeah military training instructor you are very smart look at that brennan uh but yeah yeah uh, there were stories about like mti's getting hit or stabbed uh and well see i think it, i i would think it would be the opposite that if you come from a really rough background and a really rough life that you could almost handle that situation of being screamed at and stuff but you're saying those are the kind of people that would snap um, well, there's not, I mean, I guess it's not one. No, no. I think what most people forget about crazy is, is that crazy is universal. That that's the, the scary part about crazy yeah. is, is that there's really no, uh, there's no really precursor to crazy until you get to crazy. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Like the shit hits the fan. It's not it, like you don't know the shit hits the fan. That's why it's called shit hitting the fan. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, it, it, it was just like, you know, crazy things like some, because people, it is, it's mentally exhausting. It, it, the whole point is to be completely and totally broke down into a worthless individual as yourself. Like you're, the goal is to be that I am no longer Dallas. Yeah, you're nothing I, without the team. No, I'm Airman Nelson. Yeah. Like I'm Airman Nelson or I, that's the goal. The goal isn't to be, they don't, you go in as Dallas, which is my first name, and then you leave and you're known as Nelson. Uh, and Nelson is who you are. And that process requires you to be broken down. That's how you make soldiers. That's how you make people that do it. So you go through that, right? Horrific, brutal, no positive reinforcement whatsoever. <laughs> oh, that's so sad because I know you now, and it makes me sad to think that oh. people were just screaming at you all the time. Oh, man. Actually, boot camp was uh, it was really funny. I got along better with my MTIs than I did with my, my flight, my group of people that I was working with. Um, they were really homophobic. I got a group of really stupid people. Yeah, uh, yeah oh, they that's were, too bad. Yeah, well, they were really homophobic. They were really dumb. Um, 
they wouldn't let me take a showers with them. Uh, so I would be behind and everything because you, you have to be on like a time period and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, I would imagine. So they wouldn't let me take showers with them, which was, it was, it, yeah, I was really bullied there, but the MTIs kind of figured that out. And, uh, how I proved value was, is that I started helping out other flights. Uh, I was a chapel guide, which meant that I went to like baby flights or brand new people and I would lead them to the church on Sunday. And so I had like a really good rapport with my prison guards, uh, and then uh, Dallas always with the church, man. Always with the church. That's where I was at. Well, you know, because I wasn't out. Uh, I joined. I went into boot camp right after I volunteered for conversion therapy. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did like a couple months where I lived with my pastor. I didn't tell my mom or my dad, but I came out to my pastor right before, um, and I did conversion therapy because I wanted to be straight. And then I went into boot camp because I was like. You know, I was at this this crossroads when I was 18 where I knew that I was gay and I knew that that was not something that would make my family happy. Okay. So naturally, my only option was to join the military. That was the only thing that I could do was to join the military. I have a bucket list. I wanted to learn a language. Um, I knew I was good at learning things, but I'm terribly unmotivated. So I went to a recruiter and I was like, do you guys have a job where learning things is is a thing and they made me test to be a linguist and I became a linguist um and so after boot camp you go there so now imagine this right like you've got a ton of just absolutely horny and emotionally starved hot as fuck 20 somethings all in one place and then just add like a nobody drank for eight weeks by the way so now imagine that you just add a drop of alcohol everyone has money a place to stay yeah. like it's just like of course so like sexual assault's a huge issue but like yeah everybody's fucking because of the fact that like one you know if we're all like nobody has any alcohol tolerance nobody has any emotional solidarity so the moment that somebody like likes you and like in that romantic way like immediately you're just like close her off like because you're just yeah. so desperate for attention because remember like you can't really masturbate at boot camp either like no. it's not really something you can do yeah because everyone's uh, around all the time everyone's around all the time uh so you're just kind of <laughs> You can really hear it in your voice that you weren't able to. Oh, God. Like, yeah. You couldn't. Uh, Everyone's always there. They're always watching. They're always listening. I know. I mean, oh, man. Yeah. Boot camp would be an amazing time if you were a voyeur. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Um, but I, I learned to drink there, which obviously, I mean, theoretically, hypothetically, I may have learned to drink there if anyone in the military. No, I'm joking. Everybody knows underage. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Everybody knows underage drinking is a huge problem in the military because of the fact that, like, there's just a culture for getting drunk and being in the military. Like, yeah. it really is, like, an expected thing of you to be, like, a party animal. Uh, and it's actually inbred into the culture of being in the military because it's it's kind of meant to be, like, I like this performative masculine thing. Like, even if you are a woman, a gay man, like, I'll tell you, like— when I got drunk at parties and when I was like with close friends on deployment, there was this like moment where it was just like, hey, Dallas, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't hate faggots, but you say you're a faggot. Like, uh, and I was like, yeah, you can say I'm a faggot. I don't care. And then we would go to uh, the girl and we would be like, well, hey, uh, Abendroth, just say uh, you're a cunt, right? Uh, just say, and she goes, yeah, I don't care if you call me a cunt because I'm part of the military. And then you go to the black one. 
and you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh my god! <laughs> uh, no, and that actually happened all the time. Uh, no, you you had to be tough. Like drinking was a challenge. There was always video games. Ring of Fire was always the big one where you flip the cards. Yeah, and you have to play the game. That was always beer pong was huge. Drinking games. Oh, huge drinking. You said games. video games. Oh, sorry, video games. Sorry, no, no, drinking games. Like because uh, we couldn't just drink. And I was get... like, wait a second, are you guys like playing Skyrim and doing shots? Like, what's uh, happening? No, Skyrim did come out that year. Uh, no, uh, no, it. it it is weird. Like, not only are you competing to get drunk, but you're actually competing at getting drunk. Like, there was never a party in the military that I do not remember that there was not some form of competitive spirit. Yeah. There was Ring of Fire. There was Beer Pong was the huge one. Um, there was a Flip Cup. Flip Cup kind of joke, though, was is that girls were really good at Flip Cup, so we never played Flip Cup. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so we learned. And, like, we learned to drink as this competitive, the goal is to get fucked up yeah. and have sex. Like, it's just almost like this brutal, like, I'm a man, so I'll drink beer and yeah. I'm going to get fucked up. Uh, and, like, you do that. And so, like, yeah, yeah, that's how I learned to drink at, like, 18. And remember, you have to remember, I was super Christian before all of this. Yeah. So, well, you, because you, you, you just said you volunteered to go to conversion oh, therapy yeah, yeah, and yeah. you. You grew up in the church. Your dad, dad started the cowboy church. Yeah, he started cowboy church. Legitimate. Yeah, I grew up in the church. So, you know, and so like when I moved to California, all the linguists are like, you know, they're liberal snobs because they're all like educated college dropouts or just most burnouts. Like really, like most of them were like the the coolest friends I had were all the kids that did too much weed to like yeah. pass high school or college, but they were smart. They were just fucking high all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, 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 those were all of my friends. But uh, no, yeah. So I was super Christian, but everybody was accepting of me being gay. So I, I came out in California because. And this is after boot camp because you said yeah, no this, one was. Yeah, this was about six months after boot okay. camp. I came out in. Uh, to publicly to my friends in March of 2012. Okay. Yeah, because that's when I started classes. There was a, a, a gay person in my class, uh, and he knew I was gay because, well, I've always had, like, a really effeminate voice, you know? I'm, I, yes, I, I do know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for anyone who is not listening, like, not watching this, you, my hands are just flying right now. It's just very, like, uh, I talk like an Italian woman. Um, <laughs> No, uh, yeah, that's just being gay, talking like an Italian woman. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both waving our arms around. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Podcast, but, not but, visual. Yeah, podcast. Uh, no, so, uh, you know, I was gay. I was, you know, like, you know, uh, without God, morality does not exist. No, <laughs> no. And so, I, you know, I started drinking. I started being very sexually active. Like, um, and it was weird because, I, you know, I kind of slipped into this weird thing that, you know, a lot of gay guys do. A lot of gay guys can only have sex if they're drunk. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. That's like a, that's like a, kind of like a little shameful secret. I, I don't know if it's open, uh, more common for older people now. Uh, like, well, not, I mean, younger people because it's so accepted in some areas. But like I, I knew because I ran into a couple people. But because there's this thing where like it, you get raised with gay being so shameful. Yeah. And that, um, and it's funny because I ended up like sleeping with guys and everything. And the only way you could sleep with guys sometimes is that you'd have to be drunk well they would have to be drunk and you'd have to be drunk and you'd have to play this weird like 
get drunk at the right level to have sex with someone so that they don't get mad at you when you have sex with them. And yeah. then, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's, like, a shameful thing about it. So a lot of gay guys, like, really, really can't have sex unless they're drunk. Because, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, because when you get, like, so ashamed of, like, the gay thing, like, yeah. you you literally need, like, some, you know, some liquid courage. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I mean, there's No, so- I mean, it makes perfect sense what you're saying. I just didn't realize that was... Yeah. Well, Something I, that happened. Well, you know, in a funny way, actually, you do know because I've, I bet you've heard the term to be or queer. Oh, yes, I have. And yeah, to be or queer. That's what that's about is, is that when you are in the closet, one of the first things that you do, uh, and fortunately, I never really had to do that because I got to come out. Uh, but when you're in the closet, uh, one of the things that you'll do is, you know, oh, I, I just got drunk and sucked a dick. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. just so drunk. and I'm just, I'm just so drunk. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah I'm just no. so drunk. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? uh, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's weird because there's a bunch, like, because the military is so fake and macho, there's like a ton of those guys there because it, it's all around America and everything. Well, I can imagine you're not the only one who joined the military with, with that kind of uh, background, you know. Went, uh, I mean, maybe not the growing up in the church and the conversion therapy, but someone who was like, I, I think I'm gay. I don't want, you know, I, w- I don't want my family to be disappointed. I need to do something that's going to make them proud of me. So I'll just join the military. I'm sure that happens more often than you'd think. Yeah. It, not you personally, but no, no, I, it really does. There's like a, a whole stereotype for it, but most commonly it's, uh, that's like a Marines thing. Marines and army. Oh, shots fired. Yeah. Shot, no, no. Those, those, they're very tough Marines. The best bottoms you can ever meet. Um, <laughs> Oh, oh someone's gonna cut my throat for this. Oh no, no, no! I mean, look, the Marines are easily the toughest branch. I've never seen someone take a dick better. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not making fun of. The oh, Marines. I'm not saying any of this. So you're a you're a gay veteran. You can yeah, say whatever no, the no. fuck we you want, man. Jo- we used to joke that if there was a gay Marine and he wasn't a bottom, we called him a unicorn. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 uh, no, I, all the branches are great. Anytime somebody says a branch is worse than the other branch, every branch has its positives and negatives. The Marines are like the hardest working and the funnest. They're also the craziest. I have a, there's a local urban legend actually on Monterey regarding the Marines and me. Honestly. Yeah, that's, uh, of course here on Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. We do like to chit chat and talk a little bit, but, um, I do like to share stories about escapades, be it drinking or drug related. And you said when you got here, I said, yeah. So do you have any of those kind of stories? You said, well, well, I've uh, got one epic tale. I have probably the most epic tale uh, because uh, this one's funny. I have two tales. One's really sad. One's really funny. Tell them both. We got time. Okay. Okay. So uh, the the funny story is, is that, so I'm in Monterey, California, and I don't know if it's like this in California still, but there's like a, a ton, well, obviously with COVID it isn't, but in 2012, there were a ton of these places that were like restaurants and then they would just become bars and nightclubs yeah like uh just uh, they would be a restaurant and then at 10 it's like all right everybody we're a nightclub now yeah that's Um, how a lot of the places are at the beach here in jacksonville yeah um the restaurants kind of during the day till about like eight o'clock and then all of a sudden a dj comes in and 
it's like, oh, now it's not a restaurant anymore. Yeah, and so uh, I, I, they probably have done something. But those places are like the easiest place to be a fucking underage drinker because all you do is is you go in, you order food, and then when it's like ten o'clock and they like bring out like the alcohol and everything, you know, or they bring out the bouncer. They would bring out the bouncer at ten o'clock, and so what you do is is you were either friends with a waiter or a waitress, and then you would go to the bathroom. So I was friends with a waitress at this place called Indian in summer which was basically like a hookah lounge okay um and so it was it was my birthday um my 19 23rd birthday um <laughs> it was my 23rd birthday uh and i was <clears throat> 20 23 20 23 uh, but which you know if you do the math right now i'm just gonna stay 25 forever um uh, <laughs> But uh, so I had gone there uh, with a couple of friends and, uh, you know me, incredibly shy. Uh, <laughs> but I, I had just kind of also, you know, you have to imagine like I'm 19, 23 um, <laughs> and I have abs, you know. So, oh, yeah. Like, I have abs. So like when you're a pretty sociable gay, like you just the world is your oyster. And I just got to do like, oh, every I was the pearl of the world. So I got to party with everyone and I got to be gay. So I just like really hammed up the whole gay thing. Yeah. Because I, I could never be gay before. So I was just so excited to be gay. Oh, my God, I'm gay. I have sex with men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I totally was like that because I, you know, I never had a chance to do that. Like, just imagine like, you know how like some guys get annoying with pussy. But you know how like 13 year old kids talk about pussy where they're like pussy pussy is the best thing in the world now imagine that you could never have any of those conversations until you're 19 and you try not being annoying yeah exactly like that's why gay people talk about sex all the time because they're basically a 13 year old boy that just found out that their friends like pussy too But uh, Look at Dallas enlightening the world here. I know, I know. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, these girls showed up, and uh, obviously, I don't remember any of their names uh, because what happened was, is I was getting AMFs, which uh, AMF is uh, short for Adios motherfucker, uh, and they were. I don't know what was in them, but I know that they were blue. <laughs> uh, but I know that they were blue. I know that they were blue. Anything that's... So, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but we kind of glazed over it. So, you're in the restaurant, and then they're turning it into a nightclub. You knew one of the waitresses, so she gave you, like, a wristband or, like... Yeah, sent no, you, no. Oh. So, basically, what it was is is that when uh, the waitress here would walk around, and then she would, like, once she got everyone's tab, she would check everyone's ID, and then if you were good, you were good. Oh, okay, okay, uh, okay. I just was... Because you said you knew her, but then I was like, how did that translate to you being able to stay? Yeah, well, so, also, I was... I was a fiend at underage drinking because I figured out something really smart that no, it's really dumb, but it's also kind of stupid genius. genius. Uh, So I figured out something called refuge and audacity, which was that I figured out that people who tried to hide something got caught. So what I found out at Monterey was, is if everyone always saw me drinking in public, they would just assume that I was of yeah, drinking absolutely. age. So I basically 
what I would do at bars too is my friend would order a drink and I would know the waitress and I would be drinking this like AMF in front of like this waitress like yeah. this clearly alcoholic drink in front of everyone so as long as there wasn't a sergeant there that knew me as being underage everyone just assumed I was overage yeah so, so I, then you order another drink no one's gonna card you because obviously you were already carded yeah. to get the first drink yeah and so since I was so confidently drinking this drink and I didn't like try to like sneaky sip it or anything yeah, yeah. I was just like chugging this drink in front of everyone and I was like bragging about how drunk I was. Yeah. For, nobody asked. It was the dumbest fucking thing I've ever done and I got away with it. Well, yeah. I mean, that happens. People always say just act, in, uh, act like you own the place and no one's going to question you. Which you'd be shocked how often it happens because I work in restaurants and like if someone just walks into the back, we just assume they're supposed to be there. Yeah. Like if they walk in with confidence, we're like, oh, maybe this is like a manager from another store. Maybe this is a person that is supposed to fix something. Like we don't ask it. It's when people walk in and they're timid and they're like, Oh, is this, um, uh, uh, then I'm like, Oh no, you're looking for the bathroom. It's over there. But if someone were to just walk in, nobody quit. And I've done that before as a manager, like you go to another store to pick something up, you just walk right into the back and everyone just lets you do it. Yeah. So it's exactly the same thing. It's like, if you're drinking in public, everyone's just gonna be like, yeah, obviously Dallas is 23. Duh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, Basically, it was this back patio. It was a hookah lounge, uh, which was like way bigger in 2012, I feel like. Yeah. It kind of had like that brick stone feel. uh, And anyway, these three Marine girls showed up, which they were pretty Marine girls, which there is a stereotype. Nothing for anyone in the audience. There's stereotypes about the military. Pretty Marine girls are crazy. Uh, and I say this as a pretty Air Force man. I was crazy. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty military people in general are crazy. That's just like the hallmark of it. I'm not pretty now. I am. You're beautiful. Oh no, I'm handsome. Thank you. Um, but they, so we, we were just all partying and drinking, and these two Marines came, and then my other 19 year old friend, who also learned from me, by the way, to just do refuge and audacity, which is insane to think that I'm just this Christian kid that figured out this. I was, I'll just act like this yeah like full blue like if i wasn't like if i was a terrible person like i I probably would have been much worse but um no so we were we were drinking i was having this really wonderful time with these girls and everything and it's super fun to be like a little flighty gay guy because you get to flirt with all all the girls and it doesn't mean anything but flirting is flirting is universal who doesn't like to flirt like mm, I'm sorry. If you're going to tell me that you don't like feeling pretty, you are a fucking liar. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Like, you don't like the wrong type of attention, but everyone wants to be wanted. Um, yeah. Unless you're in oh, a really... Di- sometimes yeah. I love it when I have tables come in. It's always like older gay gentlemen oh. that love me. They're, they're just and, looking for your OnlyFans. And I'm always just like... Like obviously, I've you know I've got my girlfriend and everything, but I'm I eat it up. I'm just like stop, like you don't do that. I know. Look at you, love. Because I just like to feel pretty too. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like you want to feel wanted, and it's also so basically I'm just like flirting. They're kissing me on the cheek because for for some reason they're really overdressed for tonight. Like they all like we're we kind of bonded because I do remember that we were all country people, and there's like this weird thing for like country people that move to a city, like because I'm from a really small town is is that we always overdress if we go out to bars for the first time and i think it's because there's kind of like a a, a thing about it but they were kind of in like gowns basically oh wow yeah and full makeup the full nines and um 
one of the Marines was just getting a little bit too drunk and like I would talk to him and everything and he was just kind of like wobbling. Obviously, I, I'm just going to call him, uh, oh, this will be hilarious, but Snuffy because uh, in the Air Force, Airman Snuffy is the fill-in for Airman. So if you want to ask like advice, like, uh, hey, Sergeant, what would you say if Airman Snuffy, when you're talking about yourself, okay. uh, is having this problem? Like, so uh, Marine Snuffy, uh, basically, he was, he was already swaying uh and he wasn't really listening to what i was saying and so so just so we can make it clear that it's you you're uh the three marine girls three marine girls two marines and one other air force friend okay my air force friend is my best friend aaron i still talk to him this day he can actually verify this uh so i was just like partying i was feeling like the ball of uh, the bell of the ball basically uh and I got really close with one of the Marine girls. She had blonde hair. She was very sweet. Uh, and she was dating this other Marine, Marine Snuffy, actually, uh, who Marine Snuffy had just kind of been like iffy in and out and everything. Um, and I'm just like laughing and giggling and we're talking about bullshit. And it's like, it's great because of the fact that since I had first come out, I didn't know how to be gay. Yeah. So, uh, but I did know what people wanted a gay person to be. So <laughs> that was... Oh, Lord. If if you know what people want out of you, you can get anything from them. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. So I And I wanted attention. So I got to be like the gay best friend whenever I wanted to be. Uh, I hate that now. But back then, I was just, <laughs> yeah, back then I was so eating it up because I was like, you love me and I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so and I remember it and it was really funny. But I sat on her lap. She had this platinum blonde, shortcut hair. And I sat on her lap. And Marine Snuffy comes up to me, right? And he's wobbling. And he goes, hey. Good. And he like... And then I'm like, hey, you know, and I, I'm Dallas. So, you know, I'm third person for this. So I'm like, hi, oh my God. You know, like, I'm just like super excited. Obviously, just blaring symbols of just purely newly obtained gayness. And this guy goes, that's my girl. And he like throws a haymaker at me uh, and he hits me in the face. And at the other table, there was some other The way you brushed over that. Like he's wobbling, he's stumbling. That's my girl, and then you're like, and he throws a haymaker, and everyone, I'm assuming you're gonna be like, yeah, and I obviously he missed, and you're like, and he hit me in the face anyway. So, well, no, I, so okay, <laughs> yeah, so he, he did hit me in the face, but uh, two things. Even though I sound like this, I am from the country. I have been bucked off of horses. Yeah, I have like face planted into trees. You know, I've gotten the shit beaten out of me of life. So like. One, it was a drunken haymaker. I'm drunk. And also, I'm just like a noodly type person. Like, yeah. impact damage doesn't hurt me very much because I go with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So he did hit me in the face. And like, but again, you also have to think too, like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm drunk. And I'm also doing that performative masculine thing. So yeah, like, yeah. for me, like, I don't even react. I want to be tough. I want to be the tough gig guy, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, because he did hit me and he didn't really hurt because like I said, I was, I was wobbling too. Like, it was weird. Like, I was at that point of drunk where you're just so like I'm at that point of drunk where you're actually a master of fighting because yeah, you're yeah. just wobbling with the punches you like, go with it so there's very little impact it doesn't hurt as much <laughs> yeah 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 because they they can hit you and throw at you but you move with it so yeah. well like oh yeah I'm I'm in the groove um and there was this guy uh, Airman Lacey he was actually at another table giant fucking thumb of a man uh 
and uh, it was funny because the two airmen that I remember there are Irwin and Lacey. Lacey uh, failed out, which great for him. That guy should not have been in the military because it was awful. Uh, it, but he was this giant, just brick shit house of a human being. Um, and Irwin was this petite lesbian. Irwin was like four six or four eight, like oh, wow. incredibly tiny. And Lacey is like six two, human thumb. Uh, and he like pulls the guy off, and like after that, like. And then, like, they get him, security does that, and then they're like, we're going to go ahead and call the police. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I'm underage. Yeah. Uh, and so... Because this isn't just a bar fight. Like, you're, you're, you signed a, kind of, you're in the military. Yeah, I mean, and in the military, you're under completely different legal jurisdiction. So it's like, oh, I am fucked if the police talk to me and I am drunk. Uh, and so what I end up doing is, is they're like, we're going to go get the manager. And I look at Aaron and I go, we're going to dip. Uh, and so, um, I jumped the fence for it and I told Lacey front door, back door, back door. I I literally jumped the fence. Um, I told, uh, some random people, like, I was like, okay guys, I'm underage. Just say that I left because I had a nervous breakdown. Uh, and I left and Aaron ended up being stuck with the marine guy that hit me and they because one the other marine his marine friend that's not drunk is is freaking out at this point they're all freaking out because of the fact that i just got hit but i'm not really hurt uh so i tell them all like guys calm down we're fine like always been an instinctive leader uh and so guys calm down we're fine get him out of here i'm gonna get out of here so basically i like formulated this plan where we're like all right everybody shuck and jive yeah yeah. uh like just this whole performative thing where i got like everybody out of there as quick as possible and so i got out and i walked to the base which was about two and a half miles away up a hill but again i'm 19 in the best shape of my life so i'm doing it in like 10 minutes uh oh man you should see my calves my calves are still gorgeous from monterey uh but anyway so that guy uh he ends up in my friend's truck aaron is from california so he just brought his truck up from home oceanside and Aaron drives this guy, and they're trying to the get The guy him. who hit you. Yeah, the guy who hit me. Uh, because, again, even if he's a Marine, we're all military. So, yeah. like, you can't you can't dime on your military brothers, man. No, That's for sure. That's all yeah. about it. Uh, and so, I get to base. Uh, fortunately, everyone involved is just so cool that they're not ratting on me either. Uh, and then the next day, and this is Sunday. So you get home, you go to bed, everything's all right. Everything's all right. Uh, well, I, but obviously I'm like telling people about this, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I'm so proud of it too, because I, you know, I'm like a smaller gay man and I got punched by a Marine and I'm tough, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's so funny. Uh, but in the next day I see all of the Marines on Sunday wearing uniforms uh which you have your regular uniform which you can literally throw on they're like pajamas they're super comfortable uh but you have your dress uniform which you have to press and you have to iron and you have to look nice yeah and they are in that and the marines have like five of them i don't even know all their names like i think they're in deltas is what they call them because they they had like a like blue pants with a red stripe and then they had like a kind of it looks like a boy scout shirt with like a white cap okay um and so you guys are all on the same base. Yeah, we're all on the same base. And you walk out and the Marines are all dressed in Delta Blues. Yeah, all in their Delta Blues. I don't know if that's... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not a Marine Air Force. Uh, I, I I think it's Deltas. I might be describing the wrong one. Um, 
And they go to the smoke pit, and I see a couple of my Marine friends. I was friends with a lot of Marines because of the fact that it was – I don't know why. Uh, I, I started smoking there. All the Marines were smokers. Uh, and for some reason, I, I just thought it was cool to be around Marines. Like, I wanted to be tough. So a yeah. lot of my friends – well, I was friends with everyone because I – you know, for the first – Because you're Dallas. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, no, I, not only am I Dallas, but it was the first time in my life, though. You know, I'm naturally theatric and outgoing. But yeah. it's the first time in my life I get to be me. So I'm just basically – I'm naturally loud and and affable. So, you know, I'm hanging out with them and like I'm smoking a cigarette and I don't I kind of have like a bruise because he he hit me like right on the temple. So basically oh, wow. he ringed me, but that was pretty much it. Like I kind of have a bruise like if you look, but it's not that bad because I moved with it because I was that drunk. Um and we're smoking with it and it's just like I was like, why are you guys all in blues? And he goes, yeah, because a Marine fucking punched a gay guy. Uh, <laughs> Just like that, he said it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I start chuckling. Uh, and they're like, holy shit, it was you. Because uh, everybody knew me as the... The gay guy. The gay guy. I was the... I was Capital the, the yeah. Capital the. A capital Q. Uh <laughs> <laughs> capital Q for queen uh, so I was the gay guy and like so basically the marines are all laughing because the thing is my boyfriend or at the time was a marine so actually that's why I had all the friends with the marines I was dating one what <laughs> but um all the marines are just like laughing uh, and I also got like a ton of street cred with the Marines because I never turned the guy in and I didn't do anything to him and I like forgave him and anything. I How mean, did they find out that it was a gay guy? Because yeah, like if, if you guys all got out of there, how would, let me put it this way. Um, there is no bigger engine for gossip than a military base. Okay. Military bases are like the culture is the things you have to do. And gossip, like everyone's gossiping. So because a bunch of people saw it, and obviously, like okay, yeah, that makes again, sense. Again, you have to understand, like when I say I was gay, like you could see me from a hundred feet away, like yeah, because I. So they were just like, I don't know what happened, but that dude punched that gay guy for yeah, sure. He's but, gay. I know that for sure. He's gay. Like because because basically, like I had my arm around a bunch of women, and I was like giggling, like yeah. oh my god, I was just the most like I looked like a uh, fucking Nathan Lane and like Bird cage like just full like oh my goodness you know (laughs) (laughs) full on like i could have been wearing a leopard print dress and i could i would be gayer i wouldn't even be gayer you know um Oh, and back then, too, I wore, like, bright pink shirts. Did and you? I, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm wearing skinny jeans. I'm showing off. Like, I think at one point I wore a crop top. Oh, because, God. Well, I had abs, people. I had abs. Yeah. Uh, if you, if, It's okay. Uh, rock it if you got it, right? Rock it if you got it. Oh, my God. I hate me. Um, <laughs> so what happened? You guys are all at the smoke pit? Yeah, we're all at the smoke pit. And from then on, I... Don't know, because I want to go back and just double check if it's like a real thing. But for like like a year, for the rest of the year, there was like an urban legend about a Marine that assaulted a gay guy. And they're just like, and, and the great thing about being your own urban legend, uh, especially when you're your own drunk urban legend, is, is that you just get to hear the wrong details yeah. about it. Like, oh, like I used to correct them about how the story was, but my ego, oh, 
<laughs> it's enormous. So I would just listen, and they would tell all these different variations about it. Like, I, at one point, I was a black gay guy, because that's even more shocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was really, really awesome, because, like, one, I was, like, kind of, like, a, on a cool Marine for once. Like, all the Marines, like, basically everybody that looked like my bullies in high school thought <laughs> I was the most badass person. Because, one, I did get punched, and then... What was funny about it is, is remember when he told you Aaron took him away and mm-hmm. drive? Yeah, yeah. So while he was driving away, the guy was so drunk and he was just having like a sad moment. Like everyone in the military is fucked up in some way or another. And he was just having one of those bad days. And he jumped out of the truck and he broke his hand. Holy shit. He broke the hand that punched me. So people had this whole thing that... I like he broke his hand on my face and you were so tough that you barely even had a bruise yeah and I barely even had a bruise and there were a bunch of people that confirmed that I was the one so it was like so awesome because there was this whole moment where it's like yeah I broke a marine's fist with my face like like people started believing it it was like the best thing ever it's like having an own urban legend about yourself is like the coolest thing I've ever had happen to me drunk and then most of the other times were just getting way too drunk and having sex with a stranger no that's how it goes sometimes yeah i don't know what was the sad story you wanted to tell oh okay so i wasn't drunk this time i was actually the designated person to be sober which was kind of a weird position you okay i think i know well, Go ahead. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. Uh, so I, so at DLI, while I did drink underage, I mean, as a 23-year-old, like a fiend, um, <laughs> eventually you do get caught. But I had kind of gotten slightly caught. So I, I had a weird thing where... Um, so like I'm so this is after the urban legend story after the urban legend okay. story so I, I had a weird thing happen and, and you know I'm coming more comfortable to talk about it but you know when I was in DLI I ended up being sexually assaulted um, there was a guy in the Navy that was married to somebody who was HIV positive uh, and they would I would come over to their apartment and a bunch of us would because they had their own apartment you could live off base if you had like a significant other mm-hmm. that you were married to at the time because normally you can't do that that in training because it's only three months but since it's a year and a half you can do that yeah uh, and so he his partner was hiv positive and he didn't really reveal that uh, and i got really drunk and he would always like feed me booze and everything and i got really drunk underage all the time and we ended up having sex uh now and it's kind of a weird thing to say but what ended up happening is is i found out his partner was hiv positive and so there was this weird thing that happened to me Uh, Because you do have to remember, like, I am a country, crazy Christian person that went through conversion therapy. I spent my whole life being told that gay people are, like, basically rats, disease-carrying vectors for society-ending God's punishment kind of thing. So I didn't know how HIV-positive, like, HIV worked. So I just assumed that I was exposed to HIV. And in a way, I was. But I should have been much more, like knowledgeable about it but that what that guy did was really fucked up yeah because uh, he was having sex with like a group of us him and his husband would have like threesomes with other people and i never had sex with his hiv positive husband but i had sex with you know the other people and, yeah, yeah. uh and so you know we all found out because i think what it ended up being is just we found the hiv medication at his house somebody oh, did uh, so they weren't revealing any of this to you? No, they weren't revealing any of it. Basically, like I had this friend 
that was my first gay friend that was my first person that like gave me the confidence to come out as gay basically uh kind of lied to me about hiv positive uh you know being unsafe with sex because he wouldn't wear a condom with his husband and we wouldn't have sex with condoms because we were dumb and we thought that that's how that worked and so (laughs) yeah i don't mean to laugh but it's just the way yeah, we were dumb, dumb, and we just thought that's how that worked. Yeah, we were dumb. You know, I mean, a lot of gay guys don't have sex with condoms because they're just like, "What's gonna happen? Am I gonna have a baby?" <laughs> and it's like, "No, you dumb bitch! Like, just use a fucking condom." Like, there's so it's so funny because in the gay community, they now have something called prep, which you can take prep to prevent your. Yeah, chance. I've seen the commercial. Yeah, yeah, to prevent your chance for HIV uh, transmission. But there's been like, uh, there's been issues where so many people are like, "Oh, I'm on prep." So so I don't have to wear condoms when I have sex with strangers. And then they'll get HIV because it just lessens your chance. It yeah, doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole, that's the gay community, baby. Um, we're, <laughs> we're trying. We are trying. Um, but anyway, so what happened was there were about five of us. Uh, my ex at the time, my first boyfriend, he was the one that told me about everything. The Marine. Uh, yeah, the Marine. Um and so what ended up happening was, is that uh, I was depressed, I was miserable, I thought I was HIV positive, and I didn't know what to do. So about three weeks later, I was having trouble in class, uh, which in class, if you failed three classes in a row, you got kicked out. About three weeks later, I was having trouble in class, and so I went to a sergeant that was on staff. After five, all the sergeants go home. One stays home, stays at the base, and so I walked in. And I'm 19, and I look him in the eye, and uh, I say, you know, I have to report a rape. Um, And, you know, fill out a police statement because of the fact that justice is there. Uh, And I remember the sergeant asked me something because I told him that I drank underage. Like, I was like, I drink underage. This is somebody that's using this. Because I had this whole image in my head that if I didn't say I drank underage, he would just say I drank underage. And there would just be this whole, like, mudslinging going on. Um, So I just admitted to drinking underage. And the sergeant at the time was just like, you don't have to tell me everything. I can pretend I didn't hear that. Yeah. Um, because they have to punish you in the military yeah. if you come out. And so I did that. Um, and after that, I stopped drinking. Um, and it was really funny is just because I, I kind of got saved because um, the the it was a lieutenant colonel in charge of our squadron. And he was actually changing commands within a week. And um, so I spent this whole week not knowing what was going to happen to my life, where basically I was like, well, I'm going to get punished for underage drinking, which means I'm going to get kicked out of the military. I uh, might be HIV positive. Uh, God, what a week. Oh, my God. What a brutal week. Also, my best friend fucking betrayed me, you know, like just this horrific, like, because I just felt so like desperately. And it's like, and I'm also thinking to myself, like, Jesus Christ, everything they say about gay men is true. I learned it. Like they're, they're awful, manipulative people that are just disease vectors. Uh, And the lieutenant colonel at the time uh, he was giving his like going away speech for the change of the command, and he was like, "You know, I I had to punish. I had a tough week. I had to punish a bunch of airmen this week. Uh, I had like three people with DUIs and all of this." And he goes, "But you know, I got to do something really cool as a, a, a lieutenant colonel. Is is that I have a blue pen that I can just kind of erase part of somebody's statement. This airman." 
came forward and did something brave and I took and he he did what he thought was necessary to protect other people um and you know I'm sitting here too and you remember like I'm sitting at attention no I don't I just real quick the the lieutenant colonel giving the speech that's not the guy who assaulted you. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. The, the guy that assaulted me was a random Navy guy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You did say that. All right. I was, I was having trouble. For a second, I was like, wait a second. Is he talking about like erasing your statement? No, no, That's no. why I was like starting to freak out. I was like, this is like in a movie. No, no. It, it was actually like a really positive story because what happened was is the lieutenant colonel was like, I, you know, I saw some airmen make some big mistakes this week. And he goes on and on about these three people with DUIs and everything. And I remember I'm sitting here on... I'm like, for sure, I'm getting kicked out of the military. Yeah. Um, and the lieutenant colonel goes, but I also saw like an airman do a nice thing. And I have a pen and I erased part of his testimony because he admitted to underage drinking because he thought he had to, to stop something. But I erased that part of his testimony because I can do that. I refused that as part of the testimony so he could do the right thing. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, crazy. Yeah, like... You still might have HIV, but that was really sweet. Yeah, I know. I, I had six weeks of HIV testing, which thankfully I'm not. Uh, and but it's one of the... Like, you're sitting there like, this is so sweet, but I also might be dying. Yeah, I also might be... Oh, my God. But, by the way, HIV doesn't work like that right now anyway. Uh, but uh, he was... Uh, Oh no! But I still felt like that. I thought I was gonna no. Fuck that's why I would. I mean, I know medically that's not how it works. No, but that's no. But I, I, I know I felt like I was gonna fucking die. Like I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna go to hell. Uh, but anyway, um, no, he erased that testimony. So basically, I got got off scot free. Uh, and at that point, um, I kind of got away with anything. I I didn't really drink anymore. I I went out and I like ignored curfew all the time. But you know, I I stopped drinking after that because. You know, I, I was turning 20. I was like, I had turned 20 and I was like four or five months into being 20. And once I passed the language course, which that was the hard part. Oh, yeah, because I forgot this whole time you're in training. Yeah, I'm in training. this whole time it's a year and a half course. Yeah, I'm learning Persian the entire time, Iranian the entire time. Uh, crazy, I know, right? God, I completely forgot that that whole thing was going on. Well, and so now you have to realize, so super intense academic environment. Yeah. So at the end, you have to take a test. And if you fail, you fail, bud. You have to do something else, which means you just have to go tuck your tail in between your legs and be like a... And that year and a half was all for nothing. And that year and a half was all for nothing. And so I passed the Farsi language course by the grace of God, uh, blessed be her name. Uh, no, I'm joking. That's way too gay. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so I, I passed my Farsi language course. I'm 20. And then I just kind of look at myself because we had 55 people in my class and only 22 graduated. God. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a huge washout rate because la- language is stupid. Uh, <laughs> all language is dumb. Uh, it's like, it's so stupid. Language is the dumbest thing, especially <laughs> when you study it. Oh, God, you'll never understand any of it. It's all like some made up game. Um, so we had 20, 20. That's true, though. It really is. No, it really is. Yeah, it really is. If you want to know how messed up. Uh, well, actually, you can just hear that because you said it's true. That is really messed up. And I said, no, it is like I'm using no as an affirmative there. Isn't that how great English is? Yeah. I'm saying no, but I mean, yes. God, is that stupid? And you understood that I was saying yes by saying no. Oh, Lord. Um, 
No, so I had passed. So now I had something to lose, right? Yeah. So now I was just like, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. Uh, and I was like, uh, oh, can I? Oh, yeah, I have to pee so bad. And just like that, through the magic of technology, we're back. Yeah. So you were saying now you have something to lose. Yeah. So now, now I had something to lose, which meant that like, okay, now I, I didn't want to drink because I was I was having fun, right? Uh but now, once I passed that class, I just knew I had something to lose. So, you know, what what the fuck am I doing? I've been yeah. drinking underage. Like, I don't want to blow everything. Like, I've, I already, like, how, like, first off, like, it'd be embarrassing to come back home after, like, failing and being. After a year, being gone for a couple of years and then. Like, and failing, like, that would be embarrassing. But to come back and be, like, you know, so close, but yeah. you just, like, fucked up your way out. Like, because, like, you know, I, I cut to earn the title i got to be a linguist you yeah. know so at this point like i accomplished the thing that nobody could ever do um because they they gas you up the whole time they're like you're the one percent of the one percent you know oh wow yeah well because it, there's like only like one percent of americans join the military and like only one percent of military people are capable of being a linguist so there's this whole thing where they like they like blow you every week they're like you're <laughs> You're so smart. You're so capable. Look how smart and capable you are. Uh, and that's probably because they did a study that found that positive affirmation must work better than yeah. negative affirmation. Because it, it's not like that in most other trainings. But in, in linguists, it was it was kind of like, be confident. Believe in yourself. Like, even the leadership was really into this whole kind of, like, positive message. So, you know, I stopped drinking when I turned, uh, when I had graduated. Because, you know, now I had something to lose. Um and I was in Dari, and uh, my best friend was two weeks ahead, and I'm going to go ahead and call them, um, what's a good, Frodo. Frodo. Uh, yeah, Frodo. Uh, let's just do Frodo. I already used Snuffy. Uh, but anyway, Mr. Frodo uh, was a couple weeks ahead of me. He was one of the reasons I passed, because he really helped me learn Farsi. Yeah. Uh, and so he ended up we he ended up going to Goodfellow, which after after you do like Monterey and everything, you have to go to Texas uh, and you got to do another training. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you got to do multiple other trainings, actually. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. 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 So you spend all this time being treated like a kid. But, you know, when you get to Texas. The thing about Texas is, is, is that that training environment is meant to be very strict. It's meant to be like you're not ready for freedom kind of thing yet. But again, we've all been in the military for two years. Yeah. Like here's the thing, like E5 and E6, they don't know anything. Like a, a, a staff sergeant, an E5 in the Air Force, like all you have to do is, is stay in and not fuck up and you'll be an E5 eventually. You know, yeah. like you're not, not a big dog if you're an E5. E6, you're kind of a big dog. You kind of know what you're talking about. But like it, it, it's so like very fake because like really it's officers who matter, like staff sergeants, uh, unless you're a senior NCO, which is like E7, E8, or E9, you know, unless you're a senior NCO, like you still have to earn respect from the people that work for you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we got into this point where it's just like, we're, 
here and like we are supposed to march and we're supposed to pretend like we're still like in the baby air force and we get to this other base in texas and the uh, mtls the military training leaders i think you know they're all just assholes there because they they don't get that we've been in training for two years that we've been doing the whole dog and pony show which is super stressful and super stupid because we have mandated mandated pt we have mandatory dress uniform days every week we have mandatory fun like it's a hyper structured no freedom no adulthood life and we've been doing that for two years so everyone's done with it everyone's just just over it yeah everyone's just absolutely over it because we know that if you're a staff sergeant you don't mean anything like you're not like we know that you're just a guy that got put here because your other job is not that important. <laughs> so, no, I mean, that's really what an MTL and an MTI is. Um, most in the Air Force, when you do your job and you become like a staff sergeant or uh, a tech sergeant, they don't want you to do your job anymore. They want you to be a leader. So you go out and you do other places. Yeah. So th- these are just people that are like... They got to sign this job. Uh, they're not even doing their real job anymore. These are people that worked in dining facilities and uh, material management warehouse and all of that. And it's nothing against that because that's really part of the American dream in the Air Force. You know, we're all part of the same team. But, you know, it's hard not. We've had our dick sucked for two years. We know this is all fake. Like, dude, just Chill. Lay, yeah, yeah just chill lay off of us uh and it would it was hilarious because i was remember there was this lady that she was just a monster of a human being because she would wear these sunglasses out of regulation and then so we're all linguists and we've been in two years and we're like you know why are you getting mad at us for having glasses out of regulation you're wearing glasses out of regulation one day she made a stand attention in the texas sunlight for an hour to be like i am a leader you can't talk to me that way and it was like are you fucking kidding a hundred percent like she literally like gave like this whole speech about how she yeah like it's not our space to correct her my Uh, grandfather who was an original green beret um he this reminded me of that he told me stories about like if you're a leader um like out because you know he was in wars and stuff so he was like yeah if your leader told you to go do something and everyone kind of looked around like that's suicide they just weren't there anymore yeah you know what i mean like it's not like just because you have this title doesn't mean you're like you know you can't i'm surprised not everyone was just like fuck you no actually that base ended up getting uh uh, investigated for like a bunch of things it was really bad leadership the colonel in charge of that base hated linguist for some reason that's weird uh well no i think the reason was is because of the fact that you know, a training environment has this thing where it's like a, a solid and it's a pretty Air Force. It's a very pretty military. Training military is very pretty because, you know, you have people so close to base and you to to their boot camp like they know like it's, they know how to march perfectly. It's very pretty. It's very performative. So, you know, you've got this guy that's in charge of like a couple thousand people who are just done with this. We know that that's performative. We know that's not how the real air force works. Uh, You've been to the circus and you've seen the strings. Yeah. We know that this is all string work and like we're, we're ready to actually just do our jobs and be part of the air force. Uh, But we got there and my friend who was also underage, he kept drinking. Now I didn't drink at the time. Um, And so he kept drinking uh, and, and it was really clear because, like, like I said, you know, that, that big 
problem with that military pressure. And I, you know, I'll gladly admit to it. You know, I just couldn't handle it, bud. I was not strong enough or whatever, you know, professional enough. Uh, you know, actually, that's BS. You know, it really, what it was is, you know, I was just too young. I, I, I couldn't, there's no way an 18-year-old me could have made it. I'm surprised I didn't kill myself in the military. I really yeah. am. Um, because that pressure and that stress is just untenable for some people and you know when you do that you know sometimes people develop a bad habit with drinking where uh, people think that you drink to calm your nerves Mm -hmm. and that's not really what you're doing when you drink to get really drunk what you're drinking to get drunk for is so that you don't have nerves yeah exactly yeah so and it's so that's why it's so funny when you see somebody like with like well when you see yourself with like really drinking way too much because you get to this point where you're like oh oh fuck wait a minute why why am i drinking all the time and it's like well because i you know i i I feel fine when i'm drinking it's like but i feel terrible all the other times and it's like oh that's because i'm not actually alleviating stress yeah you're just (laughs) covering it masking it yeah then, you're yeah. just covering it you're just putting like a flex tape over it yeah. like just smack that like you're not fixing anything but it feels like you are you, you, know? you feel better i mean that's why i you know before i got sober that's why i was drunk so often so for so long because it feels great doesn't yeah. it? it it feels wonderful when you the get scary part is when it stops feeling great oh yeah because eventually i mean i can't speak for anyone else but in my case i was drinking so much so regularly that it got to a point where i could drink half of a handle and i still, still felt feel shit and i was like what that's how i ended up with alcohol poisoning and ended up in the er the last my last time i drank because i just kept drinking and drinking and drinking and i was like this isn't working yeah well you know it's so funny is is that that's when i got my first dui act actually is that's how I felt about it like this is after training and everything this is actually when I got to base and I was doing my job uh which wasn't what I was told it would be like when I got to base and I was a linguist the problem is is that I was an airborne linguist so I had to be a flyer and a linguist at the same time I was in the midwest I was in Nebraska and one, I don't know if it's just because like I'm a Florida boy or something, but like, or if it's just seasonal affective disorder or whatever they call it. But like one, we worked in like TS buildings or top secret buildings. So you, you close everything. There's no windows. There's no light. So you're just in a dark building for most of the day. You come into work before the sun rises and you leave as the sun sets. Yeah. And you do that for six months out of the year. Um, Jesus Christ. And it drive it drove me crazy. And also, I have ADHD, so I, you know, I needed a lot of help. But the base, our squadron was so big that I never got the chance to actually like talk to anyone, you know. So yeah. that, because everybody was so busy and so overwhelmed, like I felt uncomfortable just telling people, like, dude, I really just need you to sit down with me and help me figure this out. Uh, so I, I had a lot of problems there, and I kind of fell into this thing where a lot of my friends from from training they ended up going to different bases and you know I wasn't really uh I didn't really pursue a lot of stuff so I was dealing with a lot of the depression and PTSD from my rape and training um and so like I didn't have a lot of gay friends in Nebraska I remember getting kind of 
not not even really kicked out of gay groups. Uh, like I just not even accepted into gay groups, which this is one of the things that I have just figured out about my life in general. Like the hardest part about my life isn't being gay. The hardest part about my life is being gay and weird. Like, <laughs> 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 like oh man, like I would, ugh, man, I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm a weird person. I, and it doesn't like, I'm, I honestly say I'm probably more weird than I am gay, but, uh, you I know, I could vouch for that. Yeah, I could. Thank you. Uh, I take that as a token of gratitude. Um, no. So, you know, I didn't have any friends. Uh, and the friends I did have, I didn't even think of them as friends because I was just really drinking with them, you know? I, yeah. And, you know, when you get in that really dark place, when you get in that really dark place, there's this point where you almost don't even like the people that you party with because you look at them and you're just like, oh, my God, you guys are partying with me. <sighs> I don't want to be friends with people with bad taste. Yeah. Uh, like, Oh, trust me. I'm definitely aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had been there and... Um, one, it was miserable. The weather was awful. I hated it. No sunlight. I started drinking because of the fact that, like, I was I was having trouble with my duties around the squadron because I just couldn't maintain things because I was so stressed all the time and I wasn't going to therapy for being, you know, through all my issues. Uh, and I was just alienating a lot of people because, you know, there's this weird point in your life especially when you're like dealing with a lot of that is when when you can't really communicate to people in a meaningful way that you're hurting yeah the scary thing that happens is is that you start to think that the only way for other people to understand you is to hurt them yeah um and i got into that place i really did um uh, you know, I can forgive myself for that now because I, you know, I'm an adult and I, I went through it. A lot of DMT. No, I mean, I'm kidding. You know, I can, I can, I can forgive myself now for that space. But you know, the, I just was like a miserable person because, you know, I wouldn't even like people unless they didn't like me. I started just feeling so unhappy about life and just brutally unhappy about everything. And, you know, when you get in that space and that headspace where you think about it and and I started I, I didn't know how to cook because I'm a 20 year old. Right. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know how to cook. I turned 21. So I basically would just eat McDonald's and drink four Locos. Ugh. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, To this day, like, I can't even think about a four loco and just not be like, uh Yeah, get like, sick. Yeah, like, what was I doing to myself? God, that's uh, insane. Yeah, I, well, and I was a dumbass because I moved into a suburb, and I didn't even realize, like, why didn't I move into the city? Because yeah. I, I was paid super well. Um but I, you know, eventually I had gained, I gained a bunch of weight. And so one, one thing that they don't tell you about the gay community that's really, really tough is, is, is that if you are pretty and gay, it is a fantasy fun land. It is Disneyland to be a pretty gay man. I have a feeling I know where this is going. But when you start greening some weight. Yeah. Uh, and you start getting a little bit of pudge around it and you're not taking the best care of yourself. Ooh. It's not a fantasy fun land anymore? It's not a fantasy fun. Actually, I, I like to put this in like the clearest, most possible terms, like being a chubby gay man 
Oh, being a chubby gay man is really like the worst hell I've ever been to. And I am in the a- worst hell I've ever been to. Oh my God. If you are a chubby gay black right, man right HIV, now, look, didn't if- come out, conversion therapy, all this stuff. Uh, no, no, I'm serious. If you are a chubby gay Asian or a chubby gay black minority, anything, chubby gay is like, oh my God, that's hell. Like, oh, Lord. Because they, they treat you differently. Like, it's completely... I just watched all of my white privilege dissipate. Like, I... I was, <laughs> in front of me. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, of course, I went went off that. But, you know, I'm, I'm so much better now. But I'm sorry. But, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, now I've lost a bunch of weight. Which, yeah, you have. I've noticed that. You've, you've been dieting. Yeah, yeah. I've been exercising. dieting. Exercising. You're working out on the ranch, your dad's ranch again. Yeah, and I just cut back drinking a lot. Yeah. And that's really what it is. I, you know, and it's easy to cut back drinking when you realize that you're only drinking because you want to just, like, get fucked up. If you yeah. want to drink to get fucked up, you're just drinking because you don't want to think about things. You know, you can hurt yourself with working out, and it does the same thing. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You can also just hate other people no, I'm, kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding so when are you out of here when are you leave in jacksonville uh well officially i'm gonna be heading out in november okay uh, late november is the date i'm gonna be moving in with a military friend in monterey actually believe hey not. heading back to yeah. monterey yeah for a little bit and then i'll be moving to san diego okay that's awesome um i'm gonna get you back on here before you leave we'll do a part two this is a lot of fun, man. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I got like so many details. I, no, I know. I know. I love the stories. It's just um, I uh, was like at about an hour, 20, 25. I was like, I don't want it to go too long. No, no, no. I want to save some for part two. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there then. So go ahead, plug everything again. All right. Go ahead. Look me up on Facebook. I'm Dallas James Nelson. On Instagram, I'm Atlas underscore vaped, uh, which is a parody joke for Atlas Shrugged. Again, Atlas underscore vaped. I have a uh, picture of myself with rubber bands on my head that say, darn. It's after Kendrick Lamar's album of damn. Uh, But anyway. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I'm so great. (laughs) Oh, uh, uh, Brennan T comedy, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Brennan T comedy.com. Got a show coming up on the 16th of October at Hyperion. That'll be an outdoor show. Come see me then. Um, check out my sports podcast. Cheers from the press box. And thank you for joining us on another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex drinking buddy. <laughs>